This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Tech time. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. We live F1 and SummersF1.co.uk, the technical side of Formula One. Today's episode is called The Bulls Are Coming. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Summers F1, Matthew Summerfield. How's it going, Summers? It's pretty good, to be honest, Spanners. How's it going for you? Yep, I'm pumped and ready. I can get through a tech time without falling asleep. Well, we'll have to wait and see if that's the truth. Because, Summers, it's just you and me tonight. Now, I know I don't seem you know, overly keen normally on the tech side of F1 because it's Matt that drives these topics. But fear not, because believe it or not, I do have a background in electronics and mechanical engineering. Yes, that's right, listener. Believe it or not, podcasting doesn't pay the bills yet for my general life. So I do need a day job until I get offered an FM radio show. Would anyone like to offer me an FM radio show? No? Okay, then. I guess we'll keep churning out this dross. No, I do have a real job. Uh, I used to be a hands-on spanner monkey at the front line, but now my actual day job is to ensure that designs for future complex systems survive contact with the real world. So in that role, I look at reliability, supportability, and maintainability. So, Summers, I hope that I can match my enthusiasm to my experience, and I should be able to stand in for Matt Trumpets. Well... All of that there means that you should really be able to tell us what's wrong at McLaren Honda. Well, if they just let me through the front door, I'd give it, I'd give it a good go. Actually, this is one of the main things I was talking about with the uh, the Honda Dynamo and the whole. Oh, we've we've got performance there. We just need to iron out the reliability. So obviously, in my trade, I, you know, I'm thinking, no, you you've got to bake reliability in, or you don't really know what kind of performance you have. But then again, I'm not a Formula One engineer. If they want to give me a sneak peek in there, I'll give you my address. Uh, email me at spannersready at gmail.com with the subject line, super duper invite tour to Honda factory. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by mistapexpodcast.com. We aim to bring you your race reviews before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, 
but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car or at work. The big dirty news this week is tech. Big dirty news. Summers, every time we've done a tech show this year, we've just never gotten on to Red Bull. I think maybe because there's been a fascinating battle up front, but I'm getting the sense now that Red Bull is coming. So should we start with them? Well, yeah, like you say, Spanners, it's it's been one of those kind of things where the, we've not really got onto that topic because the, the big two kind of are pulled away a little bit. Um, but I think, to be honest, most of the news that we've got going on at present is circulating around Red Bull. Um, so, yeah. I think it's a good good place to get to get going. Now, the the big boss of Red Bull, you can pronounce the name for me, uh, Marco Helmet. Oh yeah, or cool. we on about Dietrich Masachitz. Well, one of them, because I definitely <laughs> would have got that wrong. One of them has basically come out and said, "Hey, look, uh, we've we've made a lot of changes to this Red Bull car, and the whispers coming out of Red Bull are that this is you know the most amount of changes they've ever seen." Uh, on like a new mid-season car we're not just talking b-spec we're nearly just talking a brand new formula one effort yeah that's the kind of the rumors that are coming out of uh, milton Keynes at the moment is that red bull have got a full b-spec car and you have to go back to sort of the mid 2000s to to really get that kind of level of uh detail mid-season I mean, we'll only be five races in come Barcelona, yeah. and they're already looking at a, a new car. That's a quarter of the way through the through the season. So they're they're clearly a, a making a statement in that that respect that they've they've made some mistakes with the first RB13. And it's kind of good that they can just go no. No, that's it. They can be pragmatic. And they, instead of just flogging a dead horse, they're going, no, we are Red Bull. We're actually very, very good at this. Uh, we're going to give it another go. And I mean, if it was Force India, you know, doing a whole new car, you'd say, well, you know, it's a desperate move. But it's Red Bull. At the beginning of the season, if you'd have said all new regulations, do we bet on Red Bull to come out with a good car? You would bet yes. And then if you say, OK, Red Bull racing with two shots. Uh, with a good view now of the 27 regulations, a whole second chance of producing a new car, you'd be hard pushed now to think that it's not going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that springs to mind for me is the fact that Red Bull kind of almost promised two specifications of cars before the season even kicked off. You know, there was talk that they may even take two chassis to the Barcelona tests. So in reality, it's not too much of a shock that we, we may well see a, a new car appear a bit further down the line. OK, let's get into the specifics of what they're chasing and what went wrong in a second. But um, we have to get to the chat room. Hello, chat room. We're doing this on a Friday night, a change, and yet we still have a full chat room. Guys, thank you very much. Patrick Gr- uh, Green in comment of the week says, you guys look terrific. Spanners, you look like you've lost 50 stone. Thank you very much. James Funnel. Here, flatter you. will get you everywhere. James Funnel, why do all the teams introduce updates in Barcelona? Well, it's kind of a, a, a way mark, a, a sort of lowering in the sand because the teams have returned to Europe so they don't have to ship big parts out to the, the, the flyaway races. So it's kind of a, a point at which by the teams work around that, that point in the season to be able to make major updates. Although we are, for 2017, seeing that trend booked slightly, especially in the terms of Force India, who had quite a big upgrade package in Bahrain. 
Uh, yeah, and Hannah Hassel in the chat room says Summers has his microphone the right way around this week. If uh, for those of you audiophiles that are noticing that he sounds a lot, lot better. Yes, we did diagnose a finger fault. Um, but one of the main reasons I was able to help him with that is because I, too, made that same mistake about 24 months ago and nearly sold a perfectly good microphone. Uh, people are asking in the chat room if those are Ferrari branded headphones you're wearing. That's Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, I don't <laughs> think so. Although we did notice that you, you somehow won a Mercedes competition for some sweet cans. Well, for anybody that's watching the live stream, there you go, in the box. I haven't even opened them yet. <laughs> How fortunate that uh, a tech journalist for a prominent website would win that competition. Mercedes F1. Oh, I hope I don't win the next one and get to share that experience with thousands of podcast listeners. <clears throat> Spanishready at gmail.com. Okay, let's get on to uh, why uh, Red Bull, uh, where they perhaps they went wrong and, and what they think uh, they can do to fix it. So is it is it based around the shark fin? They were planning to not have the shark fin, basically. Uh, they tried to get it banned. That's probably not going to happen now. Are they now just accepting, no, we have to do this philosophy around the shark fin? Well, it's not so much a philosophy with the shark fin. It's something that um, you will... See. Obviously, Red Bull's car has a shark fin anyway. It's just that... It wasn't the way designed. That yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's more of a tack-on. Um, rather than something that was designed around uh, their philosophy. Um, it's not such a big deal, the shark fin. It's something that adds more performance, obviously, and all of the teams want to keep it on. Whether the FIA decide um, that they can try and convince people into getting rid of it, along with the T-wing, which is the one thing that I wouldn't mind disappearing. Um, you know, that, that that's another story. Um, but for me, the the, the real story behind the other chassis that might might appear from red bull is um how much more complex is this chassis going to be in terms of aero because yeah. the rb rb13 is a very very um simple and elegant design and is still achieving a, a remarkable amount of downforce considering that factor um i just yeah. think they're a little off target in terms of downforce and they're perhaps actually cutting too much drag and that might be part of their their main problem hang on they're cutting too much drag so they're trying to compensate and be slippery try and compensate for the renault lack of power uh, but that is getting rid of where they've traditionally been strong which is having lots and lots of downforce in the turns yeah and i think it, it's a it's a point at which where the downforce is created um you know there's different packages will create downforce at different levels so obviously for a high high downforce circuit you you want a specific type of aero package and red bull have always been very good at mid to high speed corners um, which appears to be more of a, a problem for them this season all right, wait, um, wait, wait. I can't let you get away with that. You just say stuff. Okay, so when Matt's on, he's like, oh, yeah, I totally understand all those things. Or he pretends. Okay, when we talk about mid to high speed corners, let's look at some classic examples. So turn three, Barcelona, uh, particularly towards the end of that, would you say that is a, a mid speed corner where their downforce traditionally helps them? Yeah, ba- basically, you, you, as, you, as you open out of the apex of that corner, you are fully loaded. You know, the, the guys are on full chat at that point. So they need as much downforce as they can possibly have bolted on the car. I mean, Barcelona is traditionally a high, high downforce circuit anyway, um, or at least it has been under the old regulations. And I think this is part of the problem where for many years now, the, the teams have worked on under a situation where they ha- they're, they're always running maximum downforce, unless they're at Monza, and then they can trim some wings. Whereas with these cars, which have a, 
a huge amount more downforce and have a lot more to play with in terms of setup. So that's uh, which su- is- that's surprising. So yeah, so say last season then they were pretty much at the max full downforce. Um, so but this season, so you might get a track like oh let's pluck one out of the air. Uh, what's coming up? So Russia, so Russia, so might they actually be trimming some downforce for Sochi? Um, it, again, it's all characteristic, isn't it? And it all depends on their power unit uh, as well. You know, each each of the power unit manufacturers um, will dictate sort of the aero philosophy as well, because there's no point creating a huge amount of uh, downforce and drag if you can't actually outpower it. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a a tit for tat kind of scenario all right well we'll speak power in just a second for the red bulls but in the chat room there hannah has said that gunter steiner who is the Haas team principal uh he says he sees no reason to get rid of the t-wings what let's let's clear this up the t-wings are tidying up the airflow onto the back onto the rear wing because there's now a gap is there between oh gosh I do. Matt, Matt, where are you, Matt? <laughs> Where's trumpets when you need him to, to recover? Basically, the T-wing is, can be 50 millimetres in cord, and it sits just ahead of where the old rear wing used to be. So obviously uh-huh. now we have this tidied back sort of slanted rear wing, and that's why the T-wing now occupies a, a, an area just ahead of that. But it's not um, providing downforce itself, is it, the T-wing? It provides a minimal amount of downforce, but we're talking very, very small amounts because the cord length is just too short to create, you know, any any kind of sizable amount of downforce. Um, and as far as creating downforce for the rear wing, that's kind of a bit, a bit of a, a myth. Um, yes, it will help to tidy up things because it will help with the upwash from the rear wing. But I think predominantly what they're looking to do is encourage the um, tip, tip vortices. So that's where the the pressure from the <laughs> wing planes meets with the low pressure from the end plates, and they create a vortex. Okay. okay? You want do that, you want do you want less of that because that creates additional drag. That correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and oof. I think what the the T wings are, are kind of helping that trade off because they're repositioning the vortex, so they're helping move the the vortex out of the way as such okay um so I, i'm getting the feeling that we're, we are stuck with shark fins we are stuck with t-wings that that they're not going uh, anywhere at all and this this is probably what's prompted such a radical red bull design from what i would like to call the rb14 i hope you're okay with that not really no i hate uh changes to nomenclature because i hate <laughs> the fact that mclaren is now the mcl 32 that really grinds my gears <laughs> i couldn't tell you i've been an f1 fan for 30 years and i couldn't tell you just what any of the cars have been called at all even the recent mercedes uh, but it's nice to know we have some spotters among us who care about things that aren't important at all so we're talking about busting through the drag with the power units uh, we know, uh, I mean, someone in the chat room there is saying, does Honda even count as a power manufa- power unit manufacturer anymore? Um, obviously, very, very hard for them to burst through the drag. But I think we've almost forgotten with the Honda problems that Renault are still struggling. And what they've struggled with this year particularly has not so much been the combustion engine, but it's been the clever bits that recover en- uh, energy. So for, for me, for my refresher, am I right in saying the MG UK is what takes energy from the wheels and stores it as electrical energy. And the MGUH is to do with the turbo. Is that right? That's right. So, so, so an uh, MG... Yeah, go on. Go on. No, I'm just uh, saying, so Renault is struggling with, with both of those MGUs. 
Well, the ERS is a complicated thing anyway, and this is part of the reason why the sport is looking to to make some changes come 2020. Um, but yeah, going back to your point, the MG UK uh, is kinetic energy, so it oh, recovers yeah. energy through the crankshaft Should have remembered um, that. And, and puts it back through the crankshaft. Um, whereas the MG UH is designated for heat or turbo. Um, I never understood why they ch- they called it H because it should have had some of a designation, if you ask me. Um, but it's something related to the turbo. Mm. Um, so like T. That, yeah. The, when I first saw the rules, I believe that's how it was actually written. Um, it was actually called TERS um, rather than ah, KERS. I see. Yeah, that's just not as it's not as snazzy. So why have Renault been struggling with those two systems? Okay, so they're very interconnected in the way that the energy is created. A lot of people and a lot of common, what you'll hear in commentary is always talking about battery battery power, um, whereas energy can be passed from one MGUH and one MGUK between one another. So they uh-huh. go through the controller, um, and that changes the energy matrix. It means that basically you can make more energy and dispense more energy than you could if you go through the battery. Um, it's how really mercedes stormed uh, 2014 because they they really understood the programming of this side of the thing um and unfortunately for renault they seem to have got themselves a bit lost uh, down the path um they've had their own problems um and, and obviously some of these mgus are actually bought in they're supplied by an outside source right whereas i believe that the 2017 specification mg uk which they haven't actually run this year is something that they've designed themselves in-house wait 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 they have not run this year's specification mguk at all this year so in no race has renault had this year's spec of mgu no they haven't run it this year at all um they had problems in testing they decided to abandon running it in the opening races um (laughs) comes down to a reliability thing at the end of the day um and and i think it was actually quite a sensible plan if you can't get the performance that you require from it uh it's not and it's not going to be reliable then you have to kind of make a decision are we going to keep replacing mguks um which isn't very good for anybody well that counts as an allocation doesn't it so they would get then a 10 place grid penalty when they had to do that yeah, exactly. So, you know, the more once you get put past four of those units, so the fifth use of an MGUK, yeah. you will have to then um, take a, a grid penalty, unfortunately. And uh, I think Renault were trying to swerve that. Sorry, chat room said, I zoned out for about four seconds and now I have no idea what's going on. Be- believe me, you're not alone. I am clinging on here for absolute dear life. Um, so that's no good for the Renault-Red Bull relationship then, um, because, I don't know, because because of Honda's problems, everyone's sort of thought, well, you know, they're kind of getting on with it. Red Bull are quietly saying, you know, maybe we've made mistakes, and no one's kind of putting it down to that power unit. But how much power are they losing then from the lack of a current, it is an effective energy recovery system, but it's not a current sort of this gen one, if you like? Yeah, well, there's, you can't really put a number on that kind of thing, um, it's all down to uh, time over over a lap. Um, they should be able to dispense 160 horsepower, which is 120 kilowatts of power from the MGUK at any one point. Um, the problem is, obviously, over a lap, you're cycling that power all the time. So I think it's more down to the fact that they can't use the 
the MG UK to its full potential for the entirety of a lap, a race, etc. It's not that they're actually down on power per se. Yeah, or, but, or when, but power. they would want to use it at times where they would want more downforce in a long corner. That's when they'd want the power so they can have the downforce and the power. So they're basically having to choose between the corner and the straight and, and where to deploy that. So it's, it's, it's not optimal. And because it counts as one of their four power units, I'd forgotten that we're down to four power units, uh, that now they're basically stuck till Canada. Yeah, I mean, if you think four's bad, wait for next year because it's down to three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, what are we saving the planet one uncompetitive engine at a time? It, the, the problem I have with that that whole system is is not so much that um, it's a penalty to the driver. The the problem that you you've realistically got is are we actually saving any money? Because the amount of development that has to go into these parts to make them last x amount kilometers longer. The, the manufacturers are actually spending the money yeah. that there would be if they were producing the engines. It, 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 to me, it's a nonsensical maneuver by Formula One. To be oh, oh gosh, we—I mean, uh, the firm I work for—we sell systems over a, a lifetime of twenty-five years, and we say to them, "Well, when can we get our hands on to them to service them?" And sometimes they say seven years, and we say, "Maybe you could give it to us every three years." You know what we say? They say, "Well, what's the difference between you getting to maintain it between three and seven years?" And you go, "Millions and millions of pounds." because making something last seven years is, is is much harder than making it last three um much the same as making something last three races will be you know easier than making it last uh what six seven next season exactly. yeah that's yeah. uh that's unbelievable so we, we've given red bull their due diligence but let's do a bit of um psychic predictions then what do we think they're gonna turn up with in sochi in the way of performance because i am putting down Big cash, and by big cash, I mean my traditional fiver on Red Bull to be on the podium, specifically Max Verstappen to be on the podium. Okay, I, I could live with that. Um, the, the thing with Red Bull is, is that they're, they're, they can still put themselves in the mix. Their biggest issue is, t- is the tyres. Um, they, they seem a little bit more unpredictable in terms of being able to understand the tyres when you compare them to Ferrari and Mercedes. Which is a, a bit strange when you consider that those three teams are the ones that had mule cars uh, with Pirelli. So Ooh. if anybody is to understand uh, the tyres, it should be those three big teams. Now, I think personally that Ferrari have made the biggest leap in that respect. I think they made the most of um, their test programme with Pirelli uh, for tw- the 2017 mule car. Um, but you would expect those three teams to have a massive yeah. advantage over the rest of the field because of that. Wow. It's going to be delicious if Red Bull can get up in the mix in Sochi, considering how close the top two are. I mean, oh, it's just going to be mouthwatering to have six cars. Sorry, six. Sorry, I meant five. Forgot about Kimi. Um, James Funnel's asking, do we know how close the Mercedes and Ferrari engines are in terms of performance? Is there a quick answer to that? Because I think, I think we're coming to the end of our Red Bull chat. There's, there's not really a quick answer. It, it's more to, to say that they are very close in terms of performance, but there's always um, things to consider, circuit-specific. Specific. You can do it. Uh, yeah, I can get that word out. <laughs> um, uh, and obviously, uh, the way that they're using the power unit, uh, we know that Mercedes are a little light on what they used to call quality mode um, for very unspecific reasons that we'll cover maybe a, a little later in the podcast. Ah, this is Mercedes and the mysterious burning oil. Yes, I definitely, definitely want to get that. But before that, I want to talk to the audience a little bit about how you can interact with us. We will have you on the show. Turn your phone on. 
That's right, guys. I really don't mind if you call in. Just download Skype on your phone. Turn your phone on. Find me on Skype as Spanners Ready and catch up with me by calling me and then hanging up. And I will call you back and add you to the group call and you will be part of the show. If you're enjoying the show, why not subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice? Because don't rely on me and Matt Trumpets to tweet out and use social media to tell you when a new episode is available. Make sure you go to iTunes or your podcatcher, click subscribe, make sure you get this delivered to you as soon as as it's published, uh, I want to tell you that you should be drinking tea and coffee with Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, Why not go to my Twitter timeline, at Spanners Ready. Scroll down until you find the Missed Apex mug. This is a not-for-profit mug. We've sold many, many units now, and people have proudly sent us photos of them uh, sipping out of their Missed Apex mug. It's not something we're making money of. I I I just wanted one. So I set it up on Teespring because on Teespring, it means I don't have to go and buy a hundred of them. Uh, You can go and help yourself to that. I think it's seven pounds with a few quid postage and packaging. Summers, before we get going too far, where can people find your work? Oh, well, I've taken a bit of backseat on my own blog, which is uh, summersf1.co.uk. And obviously, I've been doing some uh, guest blogging for yourself there, Spanners. Oh, we've really loved having your blogs over at mistapexpodcast.com. And if we thought you were free and relaxed on your own blog, you're even more relaxed on mine. (laughs) It would appear so, wouldn't it? (laughs) Perhaps I'm letting myself off the chain for working with motorsport.com all the time. Um, You know, I have to be uh, very, very pointed in the way that we do technical work over there. So occasionally you just want to let loose a little and and you're allowing me to do that. Hey, and nothing against what you do for motorsport.com. I mean, just today at work, I was like, someone asked a question uh, about, in fact, this uh, oil system. And I was like, no, 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 let's go to motorsport.com. And I was like, Matt Summerfield, I know that guy. You should click it. He's brilliant. So no, no, nothing against that at all. But obviously we get to see a bit more of your personality. So go on over to mistapexpodcast.com and check out those blogs and many other things uh, that are provided by site manager Stephen Williams. Where are we going next, Summers? Um, ooh, there's lots to cover, isn't there, to be perfectly honest? Um, should we have a look at uh, DRS? Oh, I... as That seems to be something that people have been having a bit of a shout about. Yeah, um, I didn't actually see that in the notes. I'm not as good at, uh, <laughs> as Matt at this. But uh, yeah, no, DRS has been something of a re- revelation. It feels like DRS is accidentally better. I don't think this was planned at all. It's just the way it's panned out. But what we've got now is DRS that is putting people in the right position to race. I mean, I had an idea a couple of seasons ago where I said it would be trivial to have a DRS that opened and then disengaged once you got alongside, you know, the competitor. So you still have to fight it out in the braking zone. Well, effectively, Mm. we've got this and uh, there's really not that many, apart from a McLaren, DRS passes. They're all racing passes now. Yeah, and it's something that obviously DRS was supposed to be when when it first came about. Um, And it's interesting that such a huge regulation change has brought it to the forefront. I do think that there'll need to be some tuning later on in the season when um, we do actually get to a point where DRS becomes less active um, in terms of keeping the gaps where they should be. Um, And I do think... Ross Braun's sort of technical working group that he's setting up will need to look into the way in which that cars follow one another um, because that is the most problematic element. It's, you know, DRS is more of a a sticking 
aid over the top of something that never really worked in the first place. So I think we will need to look at something more um, in depth come a few years time to to resolve the problem. But I'm more than happy with where we are at, at at the moment because we're having some proper passes rather than just boring DRS jobbies. And it has. It has turned out that way, especially after Australia, people were panicking. But China and Bahrain have been genuinely entertaining and fun to watch. Um, but the fear is that that's all going to get taken away from us, that it was like an illusion. Because I don't know what the tracks we've got coming up. Sochi, yeah, maybe uh, it'll feel like that in Sochi. Then we've got Barcelona, which is always a bit of a, a train. And you fear you fear DRS isn't going to do that job there because it's just somewhere you get stuck. And then we're into Monaco. I think I'm on holiday. I'm, def- I'm probably going to book one if not. And then after that, have we got Hungary after Monaco? No, it's Canada, then Hungary. Something like that. Um, obviously, Canada, less of an issue, lots of long straights. But when you get somewhere like Hungary as well, Barcelona, Hungary, it's going to be you're really really going to struggle in Hungary to pass and then people might not feel so enthusiastic yeah this is the problem you know when we get to the sort of circuits where like you say a high downforce circuits we may have a major problem in the fact that we really just have trains of cars um, especially at the, the at the front. I mean, we only have to look at last year at Barcelona, what happened with Verstappen and, and Raikkonen yeah. lap after lap we, we're watching Kimi try aimlessly to get past uh, the the young Dutchman uh, and failing miserably. I mean, uh, there are obviously other reasons behind what happened there, um, but Kimmy. I don't think even a, a DRS uh, can be yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. put down to that. All right, then let's get into some of the, the meat of what the, the what questions we've had from the listeners. I mean, Ferrari, the real deal. We've got a question. I'll find it somewhere. Here it is. It's from Travis Rice on Twitter using the hashtag AskSummersF1. Check you out with the hashtag. I'm going to have Ask Spanners about stuff. Ask Spanners. I'm, I'm just going to get scaffolding questions, aren't I? It's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. Um, the, he asks, the Ferrari side pod design, how come Adrian Newey said he didn't understand what they were doing? Now, they had a bit of a, a trick side pod where they recreated having a flat surface with this little structure in front of it that sort of flattened the angle that the air was going back there with. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest issue we've got there is that Adrian has obviously rocked up on the grid, had a quick look around the SF70H and is a bit bemused as to how they've dealt with um, the side impact protection structure um, because until you've actually seen the photos exposed, which obviously we've now got pictures of, put those around on motorsport.com, there's lots of articles you can go back to look out of mine. Without that information, you're you're struggling really to understand how their side pod arrangement can actually work because it it is so intrinsic into the way that um, the the other structures can can be made. Uh, And also you've got obviously the issue of the the diagonal element of the the, the side pods and leading edge of the floor as well, which Ferrari have got around by putting their side pod further back down the car. So the side pod layout on the Ferrari is a work of art. Uh, There is no two ways around it. But they've obviously had to spend a lot of time on development for that. Um, Yeah, but that's not the only thing um, they've got. They've got a few controversial issues as well. And again, I'm struggling to find out who it was that asked you the question. Um, Here we go. It's Deroche Lees at Wild Child on Twitter is saying... Is flexibility seen on the Ferrari T-Wing, floor and spoiler an advantage? So we've got a few issues there. 
I didn't know about the T-wing, but there was uh, definitely a few GIFs online that showed that the front wing was basically flattening and reducing drag down the straight. And then when you applied the brakes, it was suddenly there uh, to give them a bit of resistance. So they've obviously found a flexibility in that material that can not resist bending at 200 miles an hour, but at cornering speeds can happily sit up and provide downforce. I'm pretty sure we were having a go at Red Bull when they did... I mean, they had a hinge, pretty much, Red Bull, didn't they? Uh, And they were told to remove it. Uh, Is this front wing that Ferrari have got legal? And is it clever? As clever as it looks? Okay, so it's all it's all legal until such point that the FIA decide it's not legal oh, um, I see. because they find a test to circumvent the clever designers back at Ferrari. Ah, it's like the let them race rule until until oh no 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 not you Carlos oh no oh gosh no 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 now now suddenly we have rules. Uh, so they've basically this is a, a minor version of like the double blown diffuser. They've just got a steal on everyone. Well, it's not so much that. Basically, uh, we've we've had flexible elements for for almost ever in Formula One. Um, aero elasticity is quite a, a big field for, for for Formula One designers because it allows them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, it allows them to move surfaces in a way that helps them with performance. And the last time we had the flexi wing situation was back with the Red Bulls, um, and and they kind of um, got caught out by the whole thing. The load tests were changed, and unfortunately, on this particular set of rules, none of the load tests were changed. So we have wider wings, yet the same load tests that we had in 2016. And I've brought this up way before the season even started, that it could be an area of development in terms of the front wing, because you're allowing them the same load test, but a, a lot look a larger span with which to do it with. James Fonnell in the chat room saying, Ferrari with innovation, is is this a thing? Uh, it's been much more impressive, he continues, this year from Ferrari in all aspects. And, um, and that's true, but you still get the feeling that, I mean, we know that Mercedes can develop. We know Mercedes were yo-yoing when they were at the front. We know Red Bull can develop. Somewhat unproven of late is Ferrari's development program. So you fear for them kind of getting swamped. But for now... The performance is there. Uh, so what's going on with this flappy floor at the front? Is it, is it a similar kind of thing uh, where it's changing depending on you know what, uh, what kind of profile the car is under at the time? Yeah, again, it's something that the, the team have obviously worked on. They aren't going to allow something to flap around that isn't going to add, for, add performance. Um, it's, it's not illegal is what I can say at this point. Ooh, there are no loads. People were tests. hoping people were hoping that it would be. Well there's no load test to that part of the car or there's non specified. Now the FIA can actually add any test that they want at any point. So they could change the, the load tests to add that one into the regulations as they did with the push test for the uh front wing flaps uh, about two seasons ago because there's a lot going on there in terms of movement. Um but yeah Ferrari's uh, floor does flap around. There's no getting around that. Um, whether the whether they'll retain that is another matter. Uh, they've been asked by the FIA to to get it un, in check, as far as I'm aware, and they did add some metal structures into the the, the floor um, at the last race to try and overcome that. 
So as someone who's not wishing Ferrari particularly well, I'm not a Ferrari fan. If anything, you know, I, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan because I'm a fan of the British drivers. I think Lewis Hamilton's brilliant. And over the years, I've become a Mercedes fan. I feel a bit like one of those Chelsea fans from about 10 years ago. But, you know, I just because that's the team Lewis Hamilton is in. I like Toto Wolff a lot as a personality. Nicky Lauda, say what you want. He's an absolute character. Uh, so as I'll put myself as a, uh, as a Mercedes and Williams fan, uh, never never really supported Ferrari never understood why people did never mind uh, 50 billion pounds a year extra so I'm not wishing them ill necessarily but um, we're looking for signs that they won't develop well yet everything else is different to what we've seen from Ferrari in previous seasons what is the difference why do they look so dangerous and if this innovation is different from previous years then their development could well be as well and that's a fear for people who don't want Ferrari and Vettel to do well well as you know I don't support one particular team so I'm stop Stevensing it (laughs) I'm quite happy for the, the fight that's going on just like Lewis appears to be um, basically we're, we're in a situation where two teams have, have suddenly become very close to one another and I think it's very track dependent as to which team is actually able to, to create a performance race in, race out. Yeah. Um, so it's not as Heartbreak Ridge says, Marchioni might actually know what he's doing. He's not suddenly knowing what he's doing, is he? Uh, no, there has been a restructure at Ferrari. Um, I'm not putting anything down to Marchioni. He's not in touch directly to the Formula One team. Um, obviously, he is the main overall boss of, of Ferrari and their par- their parent group. But um, Formula One-wise, I don't think he has that, that old, authority. Oltan is Merley, apologies, uh, says Rory Bryan is back full-time. Sure, it makes the difference for Ferrari? Rory Byrne, yeah, he's back. Um, major, major coup for Ferrari to have him back on board. It's almost like saying we've got Adrian Newey. Um, Rory was... Uh, back when Ferrari were at their brilliance, back between 2000, uh, in, in sort of the mid-2000s. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is really advantageous to have Rory. But on another hand, he has been involved in other projects as well, it, down the line, that have failed. So you can't put everything onto Rory. It's a team effort. There's lots of change gone on at Maranello. Um, and I think they've finally got on top of their wind tunnel problems because that has plagued them for years. Um, and I think they're finally understanding what has, has gone wrong there. And the chat room is saying, yes, you can't say you support a team, but surely you support a driver. Summers. Unfortunately not. Oh, get <laughs> out. So you watch the race and you're like, oh, I don't care who wins as long as it's a great fight. Rubbish. As, you're as up long, there. You're as cheering long as that someone. wing's flexing, Spanish, <laughs> it's all okay. Oh, look at that beautiful flexible floor. Oh, it's lovely. Now, come on, you must be cheering for a driver. Are you happier when Lewis Hamilton wins or when Sebastian Vettel wins? Like I say, it doesn't actually phase me too much. Traitor. Although, my, no, no. One of my, my best friends is actually a Lewis Hamilton fan. So I do kind of fall into that category sometimes. You know, you do find yourself cheering on the Brits and cheering on Hamilton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as I say, I, I do have a, a large degree of neutrality just because of the writing aspect that I do. I don't feel I can have that allegiance to one team. 
it makes my the writing that I would do very biased in my <gasps> opinion. Chatroom says you're just like Rainbow Sparkles. That is too mean, Chatroom. That is too mean. I've that, I've heard him give a, that cuts deep. I've heard him give opinions before uh, from Twitter from hashtag Ask Summers F one uh, hashtag Ask Economy Crofty F one. Uh, Marge says, what do you think is the single most important tech innovation this year in f1 and it can be regulations i suppose or a single team's innovation what's the most important one there's there's a huge amount of things that that are important you know shark fins t-wings pick one but i am going to put it on the floor slots that we're seeing and are going to see a mass development on over the 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 next sort of year to year and a half um I did a piece on this in motorsport.com's GP Gazette, but I've got a follow-up piece coming out over the next few days, which explains it in more depth. So is this kind of like when they reduced aero a few years back, and I forget, I think it's the early 2000s, where they suddenly had a winglet war. They suddenly discovered they could put winglets everywhere, and that became you know the focus of development. Is this like a battleground for development this year? Yeah, because the the big the big thing is is that so much scope has been opened up in certain areas of the car that haven't been uh, for the last sort of six years. So the teams are, are, have started out in a sort of fairly basic configuration, and we're just going to see a huge amount of extra winglets going in place. Even t- teams like Sauber have made a massive upgrade package to their barge boards recently. Um, so yeah, that area ahead of the side pod where you've got the barge boards and uh, turning vanes and the splitter and all those sorts of components uh, are prime for uh, development. All right. Well, uh, last bit on Ferrari is a personal question from Spanners Ready at SpannersReady.com. You might have heard of him. Uh, he actually uh, runs Missed Apex podcast at Missed Apex F1. And he would like to know, how come Kimi Räikkönen isn't now with the harder tyres, bigger downforce? This was meant to be his season. Why is he so uncompetitive? What's going on? Okay. Yeah, it is problematic, isn't it? Because actually I had money on Kimi for the, the title this year, just on a on a hunch. What? But, yeah, I know. I, thought, I, I actually did now. think he. I actually did think he'd come come good this year, and unfortunately, it's not going to pan out. Um, he's got the same problem this year as he had not last year, but for the previous few years before that. And the problem is is installation stiffness in the front suspension. Um, Kimi suffers from a very problematic driving style. He drives with his wrists instead of his arms. Um, and oh. it means that he needs a very specific type of suspension reaction and steering angle and all of that that sort of thing. Um, and, and this year's car obviously just not, does not suit his driving style in that respect. That's fascinating. Right. Can he not just can just change that or just <laughs> it's too old? Let, do you want to see if you can drive differently at, at the wheel tomorrow, Spanners? Well, maybe. Do you know, maybe it's like having it, you know, because obviously, you know, I've got a terrible wife and but you just think, well, I'm 36 now. I'm not going to change. It'll be harder to find a new wife and develop that relationship. I may as well just stick with this no matter how unsuccessful it is. And I guess that's what Kimi Raikkonen's having to do. That's the ch- When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Voices made. Um, I did want to move on, but the chat room has pointed out quite rightly. Felix from the chat room, uh, sorry, from our Slack group, has actually said we didn't cover how the flexi floors work or why they were advantageous, did we? No, we didn't. We just said okay. that they're not illegal, but, but why are they good? The, the, it's a difficult one to say why they're good. Um, they're, they're good in respect for Ferrari, but you couldn't just add a flexi floor onto the Mercedes and expect it to work. A lot of the air structures that work ahead and behind the floor have to work in unison with them. Um, uh-huh. What Ferrari are attempting to do is seal the edge of the floor and make the whole floor into a diffuser. So it's like um, a ground it's effect, like, like a cheeky ground effect. Uh, effectively yes and this is what i mean by the slots that we're now starting to see um just inside the 100 millimeter mark on the floor uh, basically teams are allowed that in the in the new regulations and i think it is something that we will see quite a, a big swing towards and it's all to do with how they are able to seal the sides of the floor and create more downforce from the floor and the diffuser in unison um and that's why in reality ferrari are up to what they're up to is to, to create more downforce so that's why when you see a white van with loads of flapping stuff underneath it, they're the ones that think they can drive a billion miles an hour and get very, very close to the car in front. I want to get onto Mercedes, board a Ferrari now. Can I encourage you, if you're enjoying this, uh, to consider supporting us on patreon patreon is a way for people to support podcasts and content creators with micropayments so we have people giving us between two dollars a month uh, and 12 15 dollars a month uh, why don't you go to www.patreon.com uh, go to missed apex podcast check out the the tiers of contribution there uh, think of it as a tip jar for hours of content on formula one uh, we're not saying you you should pay for it but we are saying that if you support podcasts, we would be honoured if you would consider supporting ours. Our patrons join us in a Slack group that we are part of on the panel. So myself, Matt Trumpets, Vortex, Gene Z, Fer- Ferris, uh, we're all in that Slack group as well. It works out like a big kind of chat forum across between WhatsApp and a traditional internet forum. We have a fantastic time in there. It is super busy in there right now. It's a lot of fun. I dip in and out of it. Cannot possibly keep up with it. Still trying to persuade Summers to come and join maybe one of the threads, maybe just one little tech thread and have a chat and meet our patrons. But it's a good time in there. Uh, So I would encourage you to come and support us at patreon.com and look for Missed Apex Podcast. 
All right, let's move on to Mercedes. I have one burning question. <laughs> Pun intended. I'm good at this. I'm back. Give me an FM show. Burning oil to be more powerful. You may well have covered this on the last tech show, but I had been at a barbecue all day and Matt was in charge. Quickly just refresh my memory on how, because I was thinking about this today. Yes, we've heard they're using oil uh, basically as an extra combustion thingy. But then I was like, hmm, how do engines actually work? And the oil is in the, the big bit at the bottom. You squirt petrol into the, the top of the chimney at the top. That explodes. That makes the big uppy-downy thing jump down and drive the wheels, basically. R- drive the engine through the gearbox to the wheels. So if you've got all the oil welled up in the bottom, and you've got a piston that's got seals that get driven back up by the force of the other pistons that are going down, which then wait for an explosion of fuel to propel itself down to create power, how do you get oil into the chamber past the seals where there's petrol that then explodes? Well... There, you've just answered your own question. You, you basically, it's all to do with the way that the the oil does make its way um, past the piston rings and into the combustion. Um, uh, and they're using it as a, or they are supposed to have been using it as a fuel additive um, to improve performance. Because the the thing that we must remember is that fuel in Formula One is very restricted. They are not allowed to do strange things like use aircraft fuel or or anything along those lines they're they're very restricted in what they can actually do from a chemical point of view um so being able to burn oil within the combustion process could be advantageous if you could pull it off mercedes are saying that they weren't doing it anyway Ah. but we we all know all the teams were doing it in the v8 era um so you know it it, to, to me it's something that mercedes were doing um perhaps not something that was creating a huge advantage sort of their quality mode that everybody talks about is something that everybody's now putting down to their oil burn process and how true and is that how true is that for, for me it's not um that the quality mode situation is a totally independent thing it may have had some bearing on it you know the the, the use of oil in terms of burning it in, in combustion process would have given them a power advantage in some respects but it's not enough to be considered what the quality mode uh, difference was for mm. Mercedes last season. So when you say it's restricted with petrol, was it restricted with oil as well? Like, is there is there a limit onto how much oil you can take? There wasn't a restriction. The now is ah, the FIA is. have now pulled the the plug on on such activities. Um, you can only <laughs> now burn so many liters of oil per race um, in order to stop that that kind of thing from happening. It's an interesting one, but and there's no there's no like efficiency penalty for allowing oil to seep through, or does the oil that seeps through kind of act as a seal at the same time, if you like? Am I am, yeah, I, am I stretching your combustion engine knowledge here? It's a trade off, though. Spanners. Yeah. This is the thing, you know. You, you can't always um, manage everything to the the nth degree, and having that additive the oil as an additive is going to increase performance but it may reduce reliability so that's why perhaps we've seen that mercedes only run that mode for quality for, for quality because they know that they cannot run the the oil burn situation for out a race because they can't possibly have that much oil on board you know so yeah yeah it, it I think it was part of the quality mode situation, but it's not the only thing. Uh, there's other things to do with VRS and turbo usage um, that get completely forgotten about um, when it comes down to quality mode. All of the other manufacturers are now catching on to those processes 
Um, and that's why you sort of seen Ferrari much closer to Mercedes in qualification as well. Okay, so we've got a question about Mercedes uh, from the chat room. And some people don't know how to get to the chat room. It's pretty easy, actually. You go onto YouTube and you search for Spanners Ready. Just subscribe to that. Click subscribe and you will get a notification when we go live. It's normally at 8 p.m. on Sundays. That's the default. That's what we try to do. Gets a bit mixed up in the holidays. We try to let you know. But the chat room is right there. It's right in the YouTube app. So if you want to come and join the chat room, that's all you have to do. The question is from Felix, and it's to do with the suspension of the Mercedes vehicle. And now apparently the suspension is overweight. We know the whole Mercedes is overweight, but is the suspension particularly so? Well, we have to remember that the clarification that came out just before the season started um, through Ferrari asking the FIA to clarify certain parameters that the suspension could undergo let's say um how it can reuse energy um uh, and there's there's a whole list of them um the reasons why uh, ferrari wanted this investigated um mercedes and red bull have made changes to their suspension after this clarification was issued so we all know that the 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 they're not at their optimal level let's say so yes overweight they may well be Although Red Bull are saying that their old system was overweight compared to the new system. Um, but obviously it doesn't operate in the same way. So it was a very clever tactic by Ferrari to design their car in a very specific way and then have something removed from their competitors in order to gain an advantage. So um, Altan um, Ismali in the chat room is saying, who started this oil discussion? Is it Paddy Lowe? Because Mercedes did not supply this engine to Williams. Or new technical chief Ross Braun, who knows this already from the past. Therefore, he's summarizing that this is true, if those sources are true. And uh, you nodded. You know, you think you're getting away with it on the live stream, Summers, but you nodded. Uh, well, I'm kind of nodding to the respect that it could have been those people. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, usually clarifications that come about because another team has asked for an investigation. They, they want a clarification yeah. because they want to do that thing. Now, usually they'll ask for that clarif- clarification, not because they want to do that thing, but because they want to stop some other team doing that thing. Um, and, and in this case, it would appear that it was Red Bull because Renault, through, through Red Bull, wanted this to stop because they couldn't do it. Um, love it. So, I yeah. I would pin it on on the uh, the guys down at Milton Keynes, really. Okay, cool. We've got two more topics to cover if you've got time, Summers. And uh, I appreciate you doing it. And I hope you think I've paid enough attention throughout the show. I've done, I think I've done... You can grade me out of 10 if you want. Not that I have a, a need for validation, but, you know, 10. 10's a number that you could that you could pick. Are we talking just attention span, Spanners? Just, yeah, just attention span. Yeah, not technology. <laughs> well, I've, no, got, no. Got, I've got to give you a 10 for this episode in comparison Woo-hoo! to some. <laughs> when you usually fall asleep I, I had to actually do dancing on the previous one to keep myself awake in the background yeah, and pretending my I remem- mic stand I remember seeing the running man <laughs> now you're giving away live stream secrets another reason to subscribe to Spanners Ready YouTube channel okay so we've got two two topics I really want to cover briefly tyres why people are struggling, why they aren't. Uh, and I'm afraid we have to talk a little bit about McLaren. So we're going over dead ground with McLaren. Uh, but there was some big, big news. Uh, I think I said a few weeks ago with McLaren breaking down, you know, every few laps or so. Statistically, they should have accidentally completed a race distance by this time. And sure enough, they did do at the Bahrain test. And they actually came out in the media. I don't know who the hell their press officer is and said, yeah, we don't know why. <laughs> 
Yeah, we had no problems today, and we don't know why. What a bizarre thing to hear from a team. Just say, you know, we tried some stuff. This was our day. Everything went well. This is a step forward in the right direction. Not, uh, I don't know. Just shrug their shoulders and say, um, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's a bit of a strange one to come out with, to be perfectly honest. I think it's just that they're left aghast as to, to understand their, their problems, that they have so many. Um, you know, the, the day before, they got virtually no running in. Uh, because the, the the unit that they were supposed to be using, the MGUH, failed again. Um, so, you know, I think they're just really, really struggling to understand where they're at. Um, and obviously, this is why Honda are starting to try things, um, perhaps things that they, they're not comfortable with, but they know they have to do those things in order to try and make head, headway. You know, as a frontline repair engineer for, for many, many years, I can sympathise. When you're chasing a fault around... You, you know, you're doing a lot of things. You're, you're changing what you think was the bad thing. You replace it with a good thing. You try and be methodical. You change one thing at a time. You think you're following a logical process. Then suddenly the fault disappears. And, and it's actually maddening. You just go, why? Why now? And then, you know, and then, then what do you do? Because you can accept things in that configuration and say, okay, we'll go forward from here because it works. But you don't have any understanding. To get an understanding of what's going wrong and learn about your system, you've kind of almost got to break it again to get back to the fault you had. Uh, Otherwise, you're not going to have flexibility going forward. So, yes, I can see how it was a nightmare situation for them, even though it looked good. Uh, And uh, as James in the chat room says, they completed 84 laps on a full day's running. That's astounding for a Honda, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Aren't um, we sad? Aren't we sad? And you were say, you made the joke earlier before we get on. Well, there was no one there to rob Alonso of 10th place. Therefore, the power unit continued perfectly. For, uh, but yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's very sad. Um, in fact, I can't remember who the question was from now, but somebody said, if you're, if you're McLaren, you know, where do you go from here? Is there any hope? Well, I, I, as I've said before on previous podcasts, you know, that the, the liability of this situation falls on both hands. Honda, in some respects, uh, you know, have to shoulder the majority of the blame. But their their partner, McLaren, um, also have to bear in mind that they're installing this product into their chassis. Now, we all know that there's been a vibrational issue with the, the Honda Power Unit this season. And it's something that we've seen other teams have or know of other teams having in the past. So is it all to do with Honda? Um, Are we we seeing a situation where have McLaren suddenly stumbled across a way of dampening the vibration as such in order to get a little bit more running? Did they run with a lot lower power settings in order to get some more running? You know, there's many questions that we we remain unanswered, um, but I do think you have to kind of take some of the blame onto McLaren's shoulders as well. I think so. I think so, but it still feels like it's Honda. Unfortunately, we've only got that one data point, haven't we? It would be nice to see the the Honda, uh, you know, smash into the back of a Sauber uh, to get a bit of a, you know, to get a bit of an idea what another team might be able to do with the Honda. I still get the impression that F1 community, whatever they're leaking, whatever they're saying, kind of wants you to believe that it's Honda's fault. And I wonder whether it's because, you know, they're not really part of the club. They're not really in the paddock. So it's kind of easier to blame Honda than McLaren, who's next to them, who they have lunch with, who they see every week. Yeah, I think there's a bit of mentality about that, to be honest. You know, it's Honda, uh, even in their previous guises, have always operated in, in a different way to the, the sort of Formula One ethos. So, 
you know, it, it does stand them apart and it does make it easier to blame them, as you say, because they're, they're, they're not rubbing shoulders with everybody else on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there's a picture going around showing Alonso with a microphone sat next to Van Dorn and they're, they're on their phones. Oh, yes. And two, two, <laughs> two doors down, they've got one of the, you know, the, the chief man from Honda yeah. looking rather forlorn. And you just think, well, he's a, he's a man stood in the shadow of, uh, of a Spaniard that he's not happy. Um, and how do they deal with that situation? Uh, Zach Delaroche in the chat room uh, is saying that, you know, they just need to keep praying. In fact, there's a a few McLaren fans in there, Korku um, and Numa in there as well. Hannah Hassel is a McLaren fan. And they're all just so, so desperate for McLaren to do well. I have to say they probably have to park those hopes for this season. Can we move on, please, Summers, though, because... McLaren just depresses me at the moment. And it's it's not fair because we know how hard the boys are working there. We know they've got a racing culture. We know they're a racing team. And it's just this, it's just, it's cruel. They made a, a decision right at the top, at the top of the board that they needed to get away from Mercedes. And it's been a terrible decision and they've been tied into it. And the way the finances of the money Honda, Honda are actually paying to supply them engines, as I understand it. Means that McLaren is trapped, and it's such a big institution to be in such a hopeless situation uh, that it's it's farcical. They've had to make excuses for it over the years, but this is something that's not going to go away until at least the end of the season. Well, the, there might be some ray of sunshine on the horizon, though, because apparently they've been talking to Mercedes, um, and Mercedes have helped other t- other manufacturers in the past. Yeah, you know, they, they could help them out. Um, whether they whether they can pull that deal off is another matter, um, but it is a possibility. They could work together. They could help them to understand the problems that they're having as a, as a supplier at the end of the day. So, you know, I, I believe it was Renault that Mercedes helped in the V8 era. Um, so we we could see a situation where things improve, but it's not going to happen overnight unfortunately, Um, and and it's the same old story for McLaren. Well, what McLaren fans need is a bit of time travel. This is my time travel music. If you didn't know that, that didn't make any sense. So I, I never mind, I clarified, but but never mind. Let's go on to tyres. Why can some people make the tyres work, Lewis Hamilton, and other people, well, Terry, but no, that's unfair. We know there was a tyre pressure problem, uh, but Vortex was asking, Vortex Motio was asking a lot of questions in our, our WhatsApp group about tyres. So A, uh, what's the issue with tyres? And B, what is the answer? You can tell I know nothing at all about tyres. They're black round things that you've got on either <laughs> corner of the car. Well, they're black when you go head-to-head with Sebastian Vettel and don't want to quite let him buy the outside of you. Yes, then they are black. Normally, they have a bit of colour on them. Uh, so they're a hot topic. Um, I think the main issue, though, is the operating windows. People are really struggling to get them in an operating window, which surprises me because I thought that this year the tyres were meant to be just less of an issue. So we've lost the wear issue to some extent. But are we now having this operational window issue, which is going to limit performance a lot more? That, that's basically it. We, we've lost the degradation that we, we had before in terms of um, when you heat cycle the tyres, you, you suddenly get a massive amount of wear. So we, we've lost that scale. Um, but what we've still got is a, a, an operational window. So if you can't get within that operational window, you suddenly lose performance, like driving on glass. Um, obviously, Valtteri suffered from that in the opening stint because of the problem that he had with the the, the pressures. So he was over pressure. He got way too much pre- temperature in the tires. Mm-hmm. It causes a different reaction within the compound 
so the compound doesn't adhere to the track surface in the way that you ordinarily would want it to. Is it also, is, is it too simplistic to say that because it was a higher pressure, you've got less surface contact because the tyre is more inflated, so there's less of that, it on the ground? That is partially the, the problem, yes, because the structure of the tyre changes, which has an impact also on the suspension kinematics because it will change how the Wait, car... wait, wait, wait. I'm not letting you get away with that. Kinematics <laughs> means the way the suspension moves... Yes, the energy Correct. through movement. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's so, the so kinematics. It's... <laughs> yeah, as if I'm going to let that fly. Uh, sorry, spanners. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it's basically all down to the way in which the suspension operates um, because you've lost some of the sidewall bounce effectively because you've got too much pressure in the tyres. So the sidewall's um, not even hitting the ground, I guess. Well, obviously the, the design of the tyres and the way that teams operate are very different. Um, but yeah, effectively you're running them suboptimally. You know, it, he's not running them in the same configuration Lewis Hamilton would, for argument's sake, even though they're running the same car um, because he's got too much pre- pressure in the tyre, which then elevates the temperature. And it's a cascading effect because then you continue to get the tyre pressures raising as, as well as the temperatures. And obviously we heard over the radio that they were, they were telling uh, Valtteri that he'd got a problem with the temperatures. Um, uh, and that just causes a further issue, um, which obviously I mentioned in my blog post for, I did for his banners, which is the fact that he was having to use the overtake button. Mistapexpodcast.com. Um, right. The overtake button. Just quickly. What does that do? Okay, so overtake button will give more fuel, um, right. and it will also change the energy recovery to full deployment. So it means then that you've used that overtake button. You've then strug- you're going to struggle later in the race because you've you've used too much fuel, um, ah. and it will change your en- energy matrix throughout the map the, the lap. So effectively, you've used that energy there. You have to either recover more to yeah. make up for that, or you're going to lose energy elsewhere. So when we hear on the team radio, use overtake button, use overtake button, th- that isn't a trivial thing. That's a real tactical decision they've had to make. Yes, because they're, they're using more energy, which will effectively compromise them later in the race. Awesome. All right, I think that's about that's about as much tyres as I can take, really, apart from to say, you said Red Bull already are better at doing this. We think they've got a better grip of it. Um, and Ferrari are doing a better job than mercedes is that the limiting factor for mercedes right now it's one of the limiting factors um i believe that obviously mercedes have got several issues going on in the background um you have the issue with the tires because of the suspension changes that they had to make um we've got issues with perhaps the power unit they're not on their full specification power unit um they had issues in testing and i think they had to backstep one version in able to to make um the next sort of allocation run um, otherwise, they'd be using more power unit allocation than they needed to. Um, uh, and also, we we've obviously know that they're slightly overweight as well, which also has an impact on the overall performance of the car. We don't use the O word here, Summers. They're nearly not fat. As <laughs> with my own fine frame, we're nearly, nearly not fat. We're getting there, lads. We're getting there. All we have to do is give up anything that's remotely satisfying or tasty to eat. So uh, we're getting to the end of Tech Time. Summers, thank you so much again uh, for your time. We love having you here. We're extremely, extremely lucky to have someone who actually understands um, uh, the technical side of Formula One. Uh, I have very limited contacts um, with the team, uh, but I got told two things today by people within a team that said, if Summers brings this up on the show, you can 
guarantee he is a very, very well-connected so-and-so indeed. And I have to say, you have mentioned absolutely both those things. uh, And I'm sure that only somebody extremely well-plugged in would be able to bring them up. So we are extremely lucky to have that. Once again, thank you very much, Matthew Summerfield. No problem, Spanners. It's a pleasure as always. That's good. And it's been interesting, just you and me on the live stream. I think you've got to put this up on your site. I'll give you an embed code and you can just have you and me on summersf1.co.uk chatting the night away. Definitely. It's going up there straight away. The Slack group wanted to know from you, Summers, I'm going to put you on the spot. If there was no technical restrictions and you could add anything to a Formula One car at all, what would it be? Uh, I I think it was Patrick that came up with this idea of train horns uh, with personalized honks activated within one second of the car in front. So you could choose your own, you know, so it could be blue flags, blue flags for Vettel. So Uh, scare him off the track, yeah. And uh, for Hamilton, it will be, there's no way past this guy. Uh, So uh, people obviously want the Mario Kart shells. Uh, Hannah wanted the blue shell. I was like, what is this with this millennial newfangled blue shell? Red shell, Super Nintendo for the win. There was a serious suggestion for air conditioning because I think a lot of the drivers really struggle with the heat and hot water bottles. Fart cannons aren't going to make it, Patrick. Stop stop it. Stop saying it. Um, But what would you add to the car to as your one innovation? Well, I just want more power is a simple answer. Really? Um, yeah, I just really, really think that the power to weight ratio is really poor at the moment. And I think if we were to see a point in the near future where we can actually have, say, 1,250, 1,300 horsepower, I think that's what the formula should be aiming for um, because it will make the cars much more difficult for the, the drivers. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and, and it should get to the point where... like it should be physically impossible for any driver to get the maximum lap time out of the car, shouldn't it? It should be impossible to, to get that performance. I think that's what it was like in Senna's time. And when he had that, that famous lap in Monaco, that's what he was saying. He was just saying he was finding more and more every single lap as he had this zen-like moment in the car. Because And whatever he did, whatever magic he performed, he was never going to outdrive that car. Um, and I think the closer drivers are in terms of lap time, you know, the more we realise we've got a situation where they can't out, they, they, they can outdrive the car. So, yeah, we want a situation where the driver performance is everything and more power is the way to do that. Felix in the chat room saying, oh, Patrick got credit. Sorry, it was Felix Bolin from Sweden's question uh, that asked you what you would add to that. More power. Um, we want confetti squirters. Oh, there's a great suggestion which is car-to-car radio. So when you're close enough to another car, you can communicate with that other driver. That that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's from Hannah. Uh, Heartbreak Ridge says, uh, you don't mean power, you mean poor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Sachs asking, Summers, is there doping in F1? Do they test for drugs in Formula 1? Yeah, they do. Um, random drug tests. Um, I it's just part of the sporting culture these days, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah there, there are tests taken. Zach also says, if cars became tougher, will doping become an issue? As in, well, I'm thinking, yeah, we'll just allow it. Yeah, go for it. The cars are tougher. Roid yourself up, guys. Weight limits are gone. We've got ballasts and everything. 
My, my f- best friend argues that there should be two types of Olympics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one for enhanced individuals. <laughs> uh, well, in that case, your friend needs to read the Red Dwarf books, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers and Better Than Life, where they have a football league that is exactly like that. Uh, and the Scottish goalkeeper was just an eight by six foot block of flesh. And they still failed to qualify from the first round of the World Cup. Scotland for you. Summers F1 does not I'm, reflect I'm, ta- I'm ge- talking about the Scottish football team <laughs> in general. Okay, so quickly then, um, 108, Scotland, delete for reputation. Okay, so <laughs> so talking about this differential between the drivers and them being able to uh, outdrive the car or not being able to outdrive the car, this is the last question we've got from the chat room that we're going to address. How do the cars compare? For example... The Williams is probably better than it seems, but they're stuck with two mediocre drivers. And I, I actually believe right now that that's generous. They have a mediocre driver and they have, they have Stroll. <laughs> Both the Williams and the Renault, it's hard to, uh, to gauge their, their driver quality. So Hulkenberg seems to be doing very, very well in that Renault. But Palmer, at the moment, is looking so at sea that we can't even judge how well Hulkenberg's doing we can't judge Hulkenberg until there's someone in that car who's pushing him Palmer's not pushing him so Mm. is the variance in driver performance now actually making it hard to tell which cars are genuinely doing well because you could look at either Mercedes and make a completely different assessment of how good that car is you could look at either Ferrari and do the same thing you could look at the Red Bull in the wet and come to the same conclusion so you know it's your job much harder now because like I believe, this is becoming more of a driver series. Yeah, there there is a bit of a problem there because from a technical point of view, I can look at a car and have a very good idea of where they should rank in terms of performance. Um, having said that, I hate the Force India car um, from a technical point of view. Um, there are some very ugly um, elements to the car, let's say, but from a performance aspect, they seem to be working very well. Um, and that's because they have to obviously operate on a fairly limited budget when you compare them to the teams that are above them. Um, but yeah, I do think that there is an element of uh, problem for me in terms of being able to understand where they are. And I think it comes back to as much as saying, what would Nico do? Because it's that correlation between uh, Lewis Hamilton and somebody like Nico Rosberg, who was so very, very close to him um, on the given day. But we don't have that, as you say, with Hulkenberg and Palmer at the moment or no, Masser and Stroll. We don't. Uh, and, uh, and that's the problem. You know, you, you, you do have this issue where drivers are so disparate in their, their driving ability, unfortunately. Summers, I think we've just about ran out of time. So make sure that people follow you at SummersF1 on Twitter. That's it. And I, honestly, you will see a different side to Summers if you follow him on Twitter. Sometimes I just think, like, I assume that you would need to rainbow sparkles it and suck up to every team, but you give your opinion when it's warranted. You're not afraid of it. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't do. It's my opinion at the end of the day. Whether it's the fa- fact of the matter is a different thing. <laughs> As Matt Trumpet says, it's my universe. Why the heck not? Follow me at Spanners Ready and follow the podcast at Missed Apex F1. It really does help the standing of the podcast uh, to be able to point to media following. So please go ahead and do that. The last thing I'd like you to go and join is our Facebook group. Why not go to Facebook and search Missed Apex Podcast and join us there. I hope to see you in the Facebook group. I hope to see you in our Slack group. Until next week, 
for the Russian GP review. Remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Tech Time. Yay, I was genuinely nervous about that, but now I feel like I can join in as a full member of the Tech Time panel, even if Matt is hosting. I don't know why you sound nervous, Spanish. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's just, it's, I think it is the accent. I'm just, I, the listeners love it, God bless them, but for me it's like, well, the floor... Just... Oh, we forgot about Comment of the Week. Comment of the And we're going to give it to, even though Hannah Hassel uh, came in with the You're Just Like Rainbow Sparkles burn, the question that put you on the spot and made you flounce around and show a rare weakness was the comment from James Funnel saying, you say you don't support a team, but what about a driver? You put Summers on the spot, you made him flap, you made him lie. So you get... Comment of the week. Because you're blatantly a Lewis Hamilton fan. I can sense it. I can feel it. I will get you to admit you're a Lewis Hamilton fan. I, I actually aren't. I, I'm not Spanners, actually. And I'm not really a fan of any any driver. But I do like to have a flutter occasionally, as Ooh, you know. Oh, yes. I and know. I the you. drivers that tend to earn me the most money tend to uh, be Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo, yeah. You know. Kind of puts him in my good books. Because <laughs> he wins you money, he's in your good books. All right, then, quite. Okay, then. Okay, come on. Quick, tell, tell me who you think's better. Let's go through the team. Vettel Raikkonen. Vettel Raikkonen. Who's better? Vettel. Uh, Bottas. Hamilton. 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 Verstappen Ricciardo. Uh, you see, my allegiance is with Danny, but I do really respect Max's ability as well. That is that is actually the worst one to try to pick I, between. I've got. I think I've I've nailed it. I think I've got a good opinion on this. I'd like your opinion on whether I got this right or not. Here's what I think. Right, when I play golf, now bear with me. Bear with me. I can see the chat room I, numbers. I, I play golf. So, yeah, I can okay. see the chat room numbers going down. Okay, next time you come up, we will go for for nine holes together. Um, I I I have a reasonable drive. So I can hit the ball out 250. I can actually, I can land it 250 on occasion. If the wind's behind me and there's a nice roll, it can go trickle out to 270, 280, which is actually, compared to most people, most average golfers, that's great. But I'll only get about 60% on the fairway. It will fly off left and right. And I think Max Verstappen is like my drive because he is just so brave and bold and balls out. He's got such self-belief that in any given moment, he is that 300-yard drive that you don't expect uh, from an amateur golfer. Um, but what I've learned over the years is you've gone, do you know what? There are those holes. It's only a 400-yard yard hole. Don't need to hit it 300 yards. I can stick it on a tee with a five iron, get, get it down the track, and, and then you know, and then I can, I can maybe even hit a seven for the next shot. And I'm, I'm right up there next to the green, and I didn't need to risk. Uh, you are relating to this metaphor, aren't you? Um, so that's why I think Daniel Ricciardo is the five iron off the tee. Yeah. And that's just because he's got a bit more experience. Verstappen is still hitting those bold drives every time, which Lewis Hamilton absolutely used to and absolutely used to as well. Um, but Lewis Hamilton is now a three-time world champion, going to be a multi-multiple world champion because he's learned to pick that five iron up on occasion. So will Verstappen still be as dynamic and exciting when he realises you can't hit the big stick every time? I think he'll obviously have to reel himself in, as you say. You know, he's a young, exuberant uh, driver. Um, 
And as my dad used to say to me when we used to play golf, drive for show, put for dough. And, <laughs> uh, and that's exactly, as you say, Ricardo is, is the putter. Um, he, he's the one who gets in to the green in regulation um, and can kind of make a better show of it overall. But the most fantastical driver of the two is Verstappen. Um, because he is so bold. Yes, I uh, agree. And yeah, that that's exactly it. But if that's if why... the Red Bull cars were in, this is gonna, I'm gonna leave this in. If the Red Bull cars were in a title fight right now, I think Daniel Ricciardo would take it, but he would be beaten many, many times throughout the season. Mm, I, I agree there. I, I think Max is a fantastic talent, but I think, as you say, he's too exuberant, um, and he allows that to get the better of him on occasion. Uh, Spanners, uh, sorry, Zach LaRoche. I'll just, just take the time to answer these. Are you in a rush? Are you, Summers? No, no, no. Uh, Zach LaRoche says, Spanners, how did you and Matt start the show? Well, it's quite interesting. Uh, I was actually a police officer in Brooklyn in uh, the late 1980s. Uh, Matt was a very straight-laced copper by the rules. I was a wild maverick. And together we took down a drugs cartel uh, in the course of which we had to wrestle a snake and rescue the virgin Connie Swells. Um, But since then we've been best friends. And uh, since we discovered F1, we then started a show. Next question. Play golf or play at golf? I definitely play at golf. I try to play golf. Definitely. What's your? Have you got a handicap of your summers? I, I, to be honest, Spanners, I haven't played for quite a number of years now. But I was actually quite good in the day. I've been playing since I was seven. Oh so. wow, wow! No, I took it up much later uh, as a career booster, attempted career booster. I, if um, when I was playing regularly, I would get round in mid nineties, and I'd be very, very happy with a score of ninety three, ninety four. Let's just say they used to call me the bandit um, because I used to play off top handicap, but played a lot better than that. Oh, I see. So you were a lying, cheating scumbag. <laughs> yes. James says, golf, you disappoint me. My friend converted from watching F1 to golf. James, I know that from your comments that you are a student. Uh, me and Summers are mid, mid-30s. Are we mid-30s? We're mid-30s. And, uh, and mind you, you've been playing since you were very young. Uh, so Verstappen equals Bubba Watson. According to the chat room as well. <laughs> so that's good. Oh, no, we haven't finished yet. We haven't finished yet. Uh, Hulkenberg Palmer. Hulkenberg Palmer. Oh, come on. Hulkenberg. Verline. Uh, sorry sorry to, to take your Jolian Palmer and throw him in the bin. No, but uh, you know you know we're big supporters of Jolian Palmer. But, you know, if you look in F1, he, that's not the highest. It's not the highest mountain to climb to take on Hulkenberg. And he's not doing well at that. Imagine if he was up against Hamilton, you'd probably see the biggest gap in F1 bar if Ericsson went there you know and uh, we don't know about okay so Massa Stroll have we got a much lower version of our Bubba Watson uh, type thing there have we so Stroll again is just going for it balls out Um, I I think the the problem with Stroll is that he's yeah he doesn't have the the same kind of capability as Verstappen um, but he's trying to elude that he does yes Um, unfortunately Um, I, I do think he's a good driver but unfortunately, these last the, the first three races hasn't allowed him to express that. Um, but yeah, I'm not a fan. Let's say. Okay, so um, if the Williams was the title-winning car, which one of those two would be winning it? Massa. Yes, I, I sadly, sadly, if, I agree. Uh, so, unless it was 2008. Imagine how good that 2008 Ferrari must have been to to get Massa so close to a title. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, so uh, they're saying NASA. How bad is NASA if he was worse off than Ericsson? Not looking good, is it? it, it unfortunately, it's not. But, you know, did, there was some play going on uh, with that situation. I, 
I believe. Um, I don't believe Nasser's uh, uh, as bad as he, he was perceived to be that season. Um, but it does speak volumes that he didn't get a seat this year. Interesting, well. if true. Uh, Summers, you need to update your logo to the 2017 regs. To be fair, I still use your old yellow car logo whenever you come on. Am I all right still using that, or do you want me to update it to your MS? You've got, <laughs> you've got like a project management, like you, you, you uh, hired a management consultant firm to come up with MS. You're not Summers <laughs> F1 anymore, and you start your MS. Well, you know the kind of problems I've had with the FIA in the past and <laughs> FOM. So uh, I, I can't call myself Summers all the time because, unfortunately, it's a nickname. Mm. And, and, you know, that's not really allowed, apparently. So Take yourself um, seriously, young man. When are you yeah, going to fuck up your can't op- ideas? Can't operate under pseudonyms, apparently. <laughs> oh, Christ, I've got no chance. Uh, and, uh, okay, so who have we got left? Yeah, surprised that Magnussen hasn't uh, performed against uh, Grosjean. Grosjean's starting to look pretty good. Yeah, I, I believe Grosjean's the better driver there. Yeah. Um, and Magnussen has kind of had his shot on several occasions. And... He has, hasn't he? He has. That's the thing he has. Uh, I love Grosjean. I think he's one of the, the bright sparks of Formula One. It'd be great to see him get a real chance. And he just seems like such a nice bloke as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see him in the Ferrari next year. Um, they've got Possibly. to replace Kimi at they've some point. They've got to. They have got to. They've absolutely got to. Yeah, they definitely. Which teams haven't we uh, haven't we covered yet? Oh, Sauber, Wehrlein, <laughs> Ericsson. Oh, come I'm not even going to get started Force in Force India. Now, there's a, there's yeah, a challenge. Yeah, expected Perez to be have clear air out in front to be honest that it's it's not happened no um Ocon is more than capable in that car um I know he's kind of got this mantle of the 10th place man at the moment but he's really performing quite well um and I see that as a compliment to Ocon because I genuinely believe that Perez is you know he's my guy if Perez was out fighting for the championship and he was up against Lewis Hamilton it would be close it would be close I I am a big uh, Sergio Perez fan and another one that really could be in the frame for Ferrari, um, Sergio Perez. Um, How old is Perez now? He's got to be pushing 30. Yeah, I think he's yeah. 28, 29, but Ferrari don't really care about aging drivers, do they? No, no, do they heck? Do they heck at all? And who are we to talk, A. Summers? Who are we to talk with our beautiful exactly. wives that have only improved with age, if they're listening? If they're listening, it's not true. Guys, we'll see you later. Enjoy your week. This was Tech Time. See you in Russia. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.